Hello, this is Ruin Willow, and you are listening to the Oh Fuck Yeah with Ruin Willow podcast. Yeah, that's the Oh Fuck Yeah with Ruin Willow podcast, where I talk about all things related to sex and sexuality and sexual health. Also, erotica, fantasies. I interview experts like today. I have an amazing guest. You're going to love this guest. He is brilliant. He is so smart. This podcast is especially important for men, but it's also important for women too, to learn what this author has to say. Now for men, learn new sex techniques to blow her mind. And yes, this will blow her mind. And Habib Akandi is going to share with us an amazing technique that is both satisfying to the masculine partner, the man, and the female partner, the feminine. Also, he talks about squirting, and this technique does relate to squirting. He has so much wonderful, amazing information to share about culture and technique and ways to please a woman in bed to make her feel comfortable and to just completely elevate the sex for both partners in a heterosexual relationship. So this podcast episode is really focusing on heterosexual couples, whether they're in a long-term relationship or just newly dating, anywhere along that gradient. This stuff is gold. It's just amazing. So stay tuned and listen to my interview with the amazing, informative, very smart man who's written many books, Habib Akandi. Okay, let's get to the interview. Oh, fuck yeah. Let's do it. Okay, everyone, I am so excited to talk to this man. He is just amazing. I found him on Instagram, so I will put his link down in the podcast notes so that you can find him. But his name is Habib Akandi, and he is a British Nigerian writer, a sex expert and historian. He is the author of seven published books on race and sex in African and Muslim cultures. His main research interest includes women's sexual rights, eroticism, and the female orgasm in Islam and African cultures. As a public speaker, erotologist, and cross-cultural sex educator, Habib carries out workshops on the clitoris, kanyaza, and female ejaculation at international conferences and leading universities. He featured in the BBC documentary, The Orgasm Gap in 2020, which explored teaching female pleasure in Rwanda and the UK. He is a chartered accountant by profession and former student of Islamic law at Al-Azhar University in Egypt. Welcome, Habib. I'm so excited to talk with you. Thank you for having me. I'm really I'm happy that you invited me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I am too. And I am just very curious about a lot of what you've written about in all your books and what you have to say. Really I'm wondering, how do we say the word kanyaza? Is that right? Kanyaza. 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 And what is Kanyaza? So in essence, Kanyaza is an ancient African practice which helps women squirt and experience orgasm during heterosexual encounters. 
It's originally from Rwanda in East Central Africa. And we can talk a little bit more about the, the culture and the history and the, the practice of Kunyaza. But essentially, it's a heterosexual clit tapping technique, which helps women experience orgasms and squirting during heterosexual encounters. Very interesting. Now, I've heard a lot of different things about squirting. Can all women squirt? Is that or just some women can? I personally believe so. I think every woman is capable of squirting, but not every woman will squirt. Now, there are various reasons why a number of women do not squirt or ejaculate. Some of it may be because a lot of women do not allow themselves to um, to let go because there's a lot of myths surrounding squirting and female ejaculation. And unfortunately, a lot of those myths are perpetuated by men and also by some women. And that's why a number of women, when they get to the realms, when they feel like they're about to squirt or ejaculate, they don't let them, they don't allow themselves to let go or because a lot of women aren't aware of their body as much as maybe some women in other cultures. So like with the Kunyaza tradition, why it really fascinated me because in Rwanda and Uganda and Kenya, where Kunyaza is commonly practiced, squirting is the norm. It's a normal state of affairs for a woman to experience um, squirting in a marital relation, so much so that a man who is unable to help a woman squirt or experience orgasm, he's seen as a less of a man or an inferior man. So the onus is placed on the man to ensure that he understands a woman's body. He creates an environment where she feels safe and comfortable and secure enough in order to, in order to allow herself to let go. And it's, and the onus, like I said, is on the man so the woman can squirt. So it's quite interesting, like in the Western world, especially in parts of Europe and America, where like I said, squirting, there's a lot of myths surrounding squirting and a lot of people consider it to be urine. And it's often associated with porn, which is quite performative. Whereas in like, like I said, in East Africa, where squirting is, is, is a normal thing, it's very common for women to squirt so much so that a number of sexologists in Rwanda report that 80% to 90% of women regularly squirt during their relations. That's amazing. And I actually was going to ask that because I have heard rumors that it's pee or it's, it comes from the bladder or it's like watered down pee or, you know, things like that. Yeah. So with the research or the scientific research behind squirting, it's something that I looked into and something that I spoke about in my book. One thing I wanted to kind of illustrate is that a number of the researches that have been conducted over the years, some of them say that when a woman, actually, I should actually define the difference between what I mean by squirting and what I mean by female ejaculate or female ejaculation, because female ejaculate is generally referred to a small gush of fluid that emanates from a woman's urethra, basically her pee hole. Whereas squirting, also known as gushing, refers to a large gush of fluid that emanates from her pee hole. Now, in terms of how much what is considered to be a large gush, let's say anything bigger than the size of a teaspoon is considered to be in a large gush. Now, some women can gush from um, as small as as a, as a teaspoon as to as as much as half a cup of half a jug of of a cup. So again, it varies from woman to woman. But one thing I would say is that a lot of our education or I'll say a lot of our miseducation about female ejaculation and squirting does c- come from porn, which in those cases, mm. many times, those female perf- adult entertainers are not actually, actually squirting. They're using a douche and it's basically watered. So water, so it's not real female ejaculate or, or female squirting. So it's, all, it's, it's important that people understand the difference between A, female ejaculate and squirting, and then B, the authentic, real squirting experiences that many women do experience and what they may have seen in pornography. And another thing that we also need to 
Now, I can, I can touch on some of the studies around squirting, but one thing people need to realise is that even the most the, the most often cited study when people often refer to squirting being urine, because there is small traces of urine in, 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 in the female ejaculate or in squirting. And one of the reasons behind that is because the fluid of squirting comes from the same place in, in the bladder where a woman urinates from. So naturally there will be some traces of urine in it, but majority of it is not, is not urine. And any woman who has experienced squirting or female ejaculate I, and I, I go with women's testimonies. I think women's testimonies are, are more conclusive and decisive than what a man or a couple of men will say in a laboratory. And a lot of women who do squirt say that the experience is very different. And the number of men who've experienced a woman squirting, I myself experienced a woman squirting, the smell is not the same as urine, the look is not the same as urine, and the taste is not the same as urine. So It's important that people can differentiate between the two. And it's important that squirting or female ejaculate is not surrounded in fear and worry, because if a lot of women worry that this is, you know, she's going to urinate or, you know, going to pee, then naturally she might hold herself back. And also if her partner is not creating, like I said, the safe space where she feels comfortable and secure, she might not allow herself to let go. And that's, I think that's one of the biggest things that holds a number of women back, particularly in the Western world, whether it's in Europe or in America, why a lot of women do not squirt is because of a lot of the myths surrounding squirting. And again, just going back to a lot of the studies about squirting, even the most popular or famous um, female ejaculate study, do you know they only they only interviewed seven women in France? So we are this small study that was carried out looking at the the squirting samples of seven women in France. I find it extraordinary that people use this very 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 small sample size to extrapolate and say that this is this is basically experience or this is reflective of the experience of women all around the world, you know? So as much yeah. as, like I said, I do cite and I do look at and investigate some of the different squirting uh, researches that have come out. There's no conclusive proof that squirting is urine. And like I said, some of the studies do show that there are small traces of urine or urea in, mm-hmm. in the squirting fluid, but that's not enough for, for it to be considered to be, to be urine. And also even when, because I do a number of male-only workshops and this question does often come up. And I always ask the men, why is it very quick to uh, deny women's sexual experiences? And we're always trying right. to question it and try to regulate it. Whereas right. when you, again, I'm saying you when I'm speaking to men, when we mm. have, whether it's pre-cum or some of our ejaculatory experiences, why is it no one questions whether that's urine or because it has traces of urine? When it does right. have traces of urine. But we don't right. stigmatize male sexual experiences, whereas unfortunately, with women's sexual experiences, whether it's female ejaculate, whether it's the female orgasm, even whether even when we're speaking about female pleasure, there's always this attention surrounding it where we need to bring science involved. We need to bring people to investigate it. And it's like, why can't we just the testimonies of women who say that this is a legitimate, pleasurable sexual experience now? As much as I'm an advocate and I speak about female ejaculate and squirting, on the flip side, I don't want to put pressure on women where they feel that they need to squirt in order to experience pleasure. Mm, Because that's another one of the problems that I've I've noticed. As much as, like I said, I speak about female ejaculate and squirting and the Kunyaza tradition where, again, it's very common and popular. Now, unfortunately, a number of women and and a lot of men, to be honest, they look at squirting as a, a performative act or mm-hmm. it's something which is a form of sexual applause. And with right. a lot of men, 
again, obviously I'm one of them. We have a very fragile but big ego. And for a lot (laughs) of us who want to satisfy our female partners, for Mm. many of us, we look at squirting as this is what we need to achieve in order for us to feel like more of a man or to feel manly or to feel like our woman has been satisfied. So there is, it's a very difficult one because whilst I'm, I want to promote and advocate and talk about the, the joys and the pleasures of squirting, at the same time, I don't want to make it out like if a woman does not squirt or ejaculate, then her sexual experience is lesser than a woman who does. So it's a quite a bit of a juggling act speaking about this particular topic. Yeah. Oh, I can see why too. And also if it has that varied of an, a volume output, you know, someone maybe only does a teaspoon, they may not even realize that they did, right? I mean, if it's that small. Exactly, exactly. And there is a lot of studies and that have shown that most, if not every woman does squirt or ejaculate, but not all of it comes out of the reefer. So it might come through and then it'll go back down. So that's mm, something okay. that also science has, has found out. So this, uh, and again, it's important that we differentiate or I'm trying to differentiate between squirting or female ejaculate orgasm and sexual pleasure because they're three mm. different experiences and they're, and they're not sure. one and the same and oftentimes people equate the two or equate the three that if a woman squirts that means she's, she's ejaculated and that's not the case there are two different phenomena. the same way a woman can orgasm and not necessarily enjoy sexual pleasure the right. same way a woman can enjoy sexual pleasure and not orgasm or not squirt so I think the right. ultimate and, and that's why I entitled my book the secret to female pleasure because for me, the goal should be women's sexual pleasure or women's sexual fulfillment. However, that manifests itself, whether it's in the form of squirting, great. Whether it's in the form of orgasms, great. Whether it's in the form of both or whether it's just in the form of a woman having a, a pleasurable sexual experience. And, and again, that's a very subjective matter that varies from woman to woman. If we're speaking about pleasure, what pleasure looks like for one woman is very different from another. And she can own that. Whereas if we make orgasm or squirting the goal, the reason why that can be problematic is because a lot of women or a woman may feel that, like I said, her sexual experience or her partner may feel that in relation to understanding or appreciating the difference between squirting, orgasm and sexual pleasure. And they're three very different experiences. And the goal or for me, the ultimate goal going into any sexual encounter, both for the man and the woman, should be sexual pleasure as opposed to orgasm or squirting and because ultimately everyone can experience pleasure and this is it's a subjective experience that varies from woman to woman and I think that's that's more helpful rather than making squirting or orgasm the goal that but that being said I think it's important that we learn about different ways and different cultures of people experiencing orgasm and squirting if that's something that someone wants to uh, take undertake with their with their partner so that's why like with my situation looking at kunyaza i was really fascinated to see that there's a a culture that is very pleasure positive not necessarily orgasm positive but pleasure positive or female pleasure positive that focuses on women's sexuality and helping women not only experience pleasure but also teaching men from a relatively young age how to understand the female anatomy and how to help women experience sexual pleasure which i think is you know remarkable and something which we don't hear much about of especially in uh, in Africa. So that's why, yeah, I spent a lot of time kind of traveling the world talking about the Kinyasa tradition. Yeah, I think that's really important because I feel like, at least in my country, a lot of uh, men and even some women do not really understand the female genitalia anatomy. They just don't even really understand that, you know, what it is and 
what is the part that is most pleasurable and that really the organs are basically the same when you're in utero until you split. But so basically they're, they are the same organs. I mean, I think that there just needs to be more education about the anatomy of, of females. And, and we know it seems like throughout the world, there's more known about male genitalia than there is about female. And it's just not taught. So what you're doing is fabulous. Yeah. One thing I've, I've learned, because I've been doing this for over 10 years now, and I, I'm aware that, well, for me personally, in terms of what's effective, especially teaching men, I think there's wonderful, you know, sex educators um, and activists and different people teaching women about the anatomy. And, and there's a lot more sex positivity going on around the world, especially on social yeah. media. Whereas, yep. unfortunately, there's not. And again, my realm is heterosexual. So I'm trying to help men understand women. And I, don't, I think women have got enough information to understand men, but really for women to understand their own anatomy and own body and own sexuality yeah. and really for men to understand women. But one thing I've, I've realised is that a lot of the spaces that teach female sexuality, it's very, it's quite, it's dominated by women and generally mm-hmm. taught by women to women or with women right. in mind. And the way men understand or generally take information, and this and this is men from different ages. I, I obviously I focus on people over the age of twenty one. So the average age of people that generally attend my workshops are maybe early thirties, and they're obviously sexually experienced um, in adults. Mm. But even the delivery and the method of men generally we like some form of informal instruction, but also some humor as well. So it's mm-hmm. not so it doesn't feel quite dogmatic or like you're in school again. And again, it's right. not necessarily to belittle men. It might be showing different scenarios that we could all relate to as men where we haven't performed, so to speak, so well in a bedroom or we haven't understood where the female anatomy is or the clitoris is. So just to poke fun at us, and that's the way of learning, rather than kind of ridiculing men or making them feel mm-hmm. less than because they don't understand the woman's anatomy, despite the fact that they've been sexually active for a number of years. So the approach yes. that I I deliver when I'm giving my workshops or communicating online with with men is very different to how I would speak to women. And that's, I've caught some backlash from some people, from some women, because <laughs> I try uh, to make light of, so I use memes and stuff like that. I'll try to make light of even men's or uh, lack of sexual knowledge, not to poke, again, to poke fun at them, but it's just mm-hmm. to try and not to put too much pressure on ourselves. And this is something that kind of, we all, we all have some like knowledge gaps. And this is something that maybe this is what you need to do or learn from other people to kind of, overcome certain issues or using maybe like famous stories as case studies of like a woman like recently came out and said that she was she's married to a a DJ and she said that she had never been she she had never experienced an orgasm in the first 10 years of their marriage now a lot of men were shocked by that right but but for me this was a teachable moment because a lot of men they looked at this as in they just saw this is a woman that's humiliating her husband on national TV mm. or national radio. Okay. He's, he's rich or he's yeah, he's relatively wealthy. He's doing all of the things, quote unquote, in a man's mind that a woman needs to be satisfied. Mm-hmm, but sure. when the woman was vocalizing why she wasn't why she was faking it for that long period of time and how she didn't feel comfortable and, and, and a lot of it was because she wasn't experiencing orgasm via and penetrative intercourse. And we know that's that's very common for a lot of women. So there was a lot of right. But a lot of men wasn't aware of that. So again, for me, rather than looking at this as an example of a woman humiliating her husband, which I don't think she was, it's again, it's a teachable moment. But the way you would, or the way I would 
explain this to men may be very different as if I was speaking maybe to to women because a lot of women could resonate and understood exactly what that woman was right. going through whereas yep. with a lot of men we've maybe been on the receiving end of a lot of women uh, maybe faking it and again there's various reasons why a woman may fake an orgasm and it's not a case of blaming anyone it's, it's really a case of understanding okay maybe you're understanding or you're misunderstanding about sex because of porn or from previous sexual partners was one way but now right. you might need to re-educate yourself and understand okay how can I make a woman or help my female partner feel comfortable with me in a bedroom where if she isn't able to climax that's okay but then what can we do to in order to help her experience that because I think a lot of men do want to help women climax I don't think like this idea that I mean don't get me wrong obviously I'm sure there are a number of selfish men in this world but I do believe that yeah. men do want to um, uh, satis- sexually satisfy their partners but I don't right. think they've probably been given I would say effective education. They've been given education, but it's not been effective. Or the communication they've received is not being effective into the way that they understand it and they can relate. Right. So that's why even like looking at Rwanda and Kenya as an, as an example, men are taught from a relatively young age, like boys are taught from a relatively young age about the female anatomy. They have elders in their community known as like village uncles or kojas who will teach okay. the men about the female anatomy, about the different ways to help a woman experience climax and the importance of a woman feeling emotionally safe and secure in the bedroom. So it's not just about how much you tap or how you, it's not, she's not like a, a machine where you just need to press buttons. You need to create right. an environment where she feels comfortable. That's the most important thing, which again, I think a lot of people, even when I speak about Kunyaza, everyone's so concentrated or wants to know about the tapping technique and they forget before the yes. tapping technique, you need to create an environment where she feels comfortable with herself and with her partner. And that's why, like I said, although there are a lot of talks which are great and spaces being created for women to feel comfortable amongst other women, mm-hmm. I think there's still not enough spaces where women can feel comfortable with a man. Right. Because you need men to be on the other side to be hearing that, to create that space with her. Oh, absolutely. And I love hearing that set up for educating young males about this. I mean, it's just, just don't run into that in very many places around the world. So that's just wonderful to hear that someone's actually doing that somewhere in the world and someone gets it. It kind of gives you hope. (laughs) (laughs) We need to adopt more of that. One of the things I really loved when I was scrolling through your Instagram feed is this quote where you say, when her mind is stroked, her body talks differently. And that speaks to what you were just saying about creating the environment where her mind is included. It's not just a button you push to get her there. A hundred percent. And it's it's quite, I mean, I love that quote as well. And I think quotes like that, or like quotes speaking about the importance of, you know, mental foreplay and um, mental stimulation. Unfortunately, again, I think a lot of women get that. And even when we're speaking about sapiosexuals, a lot of women understand that and the importance of emotional intelligence and how that's even attractive for yes. a lot of women and men. A lot yes. of men, we don't really understand that. And that's why, mm-hmm. again, that's, that's like an example where I can say emotional intelligence and I don't need to expand on that. And women understand 100% what I mean. Yes. Whereas with <laughs> men, I need to actually break it down. And that's yeah. like the example of teaching. Again, just because we, the way we understand things is very different generally the way we've been socially conditioned as, as both males and females. So that's like an example where if I were to say that to a man, I would actually need to break that down in terms of what that means, because someone may be like, what does that mean? Like, why do I need to stroke her mind? Let me go straight into her breast. Let me go straight into her, her vagina. I don't need to, why, why do I need to stroke her mind? Why do I need to make her feel? I had one gentleman 
in one of my um, webinars, I was talking about the importance of emotional security, right? Now, I said the, impo- the importance of women feeling safe within herself and her surroundings when she's intimate in order, in order mm-hmm. for her to, to climax. And right. then he said, what do you mean? I mean, when I make love, I make sure that the doors are locked. You know, I live in a relatively safe area. What does, what, mm. what does he mean? And it's like, no, he didn't get it. Because again, yeah. financially, I mean, he's looking at everything financially you know or like right. physically and it's not just about that so that's why I think yeah there definitely does needs to be more more of an understanding amongst men understanding the importance of emotional security emotional intelligence and emotional intimacy but because generally this is not the type of language that men we use amongst ourselves it has to be said in a way that they can relate to the speaker but again it's not it's not it's not like it's over over their head so to speak because it's all well and good saying these things that may resonate with women if it doesn't resonate with men and it falls on deaf ears, then it's not going to go anywhere. So that's right. why, that's why, like, a, like, like I said, although I try to speak and educate both men and women, my in my mind, my target audience is men because mm-hmm. I think there's a number, there's more than enough women doing great, but I don't think there's enough spaces where men can relate to someone speaking about something that they need to that they need to hear. Because I do believe men want this information, but the vessels who are producing this information, maybe they're not saying it in a language that it resonates with that person. Right. And, and, you know, I think it's, I think men and women can learn from each other, but I do feel like, yes, men would relate more to a male speaker just because just by the fact that in common, they're both male. So, you know, you have that perspective, whereas a woman isn't going to have that perspective. Not that a man can't learn from a woman or a woman can't learn from a man, but there is a difference, I think, because of the perspectives of being a man or being a woman throughout your life and throughout your sexual experiences. So that really makes a difference. And I think you're totally spot on. We'll be back after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by the Spring Cleaning Champions, Manscaped. This season, make sure the man in your life grooms his carpets and his drapes with the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Have him clear out that winter bush with Manscaped's Lawnmower 5.0 and watch his confidence bloom like the springtime flowers. Embrace the season and have him join the 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our special offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, for the 20% off and free shipping. Have you ever been doing some oral pleasure and got some hairs in your mouth or your teeth? Well, (laughs) Manscaped can help with that. Try being clean-shaven for spring cleaning. After he uses Manscaped, you can say, hmm, let's get some busy with some spring fever in the bedroom. Try out Lawn Mower 5.0 Ultra. It is an amazing trimmer that features two interchangeable heads, one for taking a little off the top and the new foil blade to go smooth. If you want to go smooth for spring cleaning, make sure you try out Manscaped products. Bring on those smooth skin sexy slaps in the bedroom. And how do you do that? Use Manscaped products to shave clean down in your pubic area. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code RUIN. You have to use my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, all caps at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with code RUIN 
at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in his pants, right? In your pants if you're a man. (laughs) Spring clean your groin area. Try smooth. Try it with Manscaped. Yeah, I'll just caveat that. Sorry, I, I do think um, men, I do actually believe women are the best teachers of men when it comes to sex and intimacy and love. Sure. Um, but because of our ego, many of us would not allow mm. ourselves to listen to a woman. So even when a lot of people ask me, like, where do I get information from my experiences? Most of my, if not all of my teachers or 80% are from women, either former partners or from sure. women, like friends or experts I've listened to. But it's a case of, you, you need to humble yourself to allow yourself to listen mm-hmm. to someone whereas if you think you know it all you know you're great in the bedroom because you've had x amount of sexual partners and this that, and the other then you're not going to humble yourself to listen to, to someone especially a woman so that's why right. I think a lot of men it's, it's the ego and again even when I'm approaching men and speaking I'll speak about it from the position or I'll try and speak about it from the position of I'm speaking to them not I'm speaking down to them so we're on the same right. level I'll, I'll speak about the insecurities that men face, the the challenges that we have in the bedroom. Because for many of us, sex is quite performative. As much as, and the mm-hmm. reason why I mean by that, as much as, you know, like, because for if sex was just about an orgasm between men and women, men would win every time because it's very easy generally for us to get to that point. Yes. Whereas if it was about yes. pleasure, then that's a total different, you know, conversation altogether. If it's about ensuring that your partner right. feels sexually satisfied, again, that's a total different experience and conversation because you need to open yourself yes. up. You need to be vulnerable. You need to be educated about what she wants, about what your partner wants. Likewise, if, if we're looking at from the woman's perspective, she needs to understand what her partner wants, not just about what she wants. So I think with a lot of men, unfortunately, we go into mm-hmm. sex as it's just about an orgasm. Who's, and again, if it's about that, then naturally men will get there first. You know, so it's about just changing the the mindset and the dynamic, how we approach sexual relations and how we approach women's sexuality and help and helping men try and have adopt a mentality where they try to be selfless lovers as opposed to being selfish lovers. So if you've got that mindset going in and you've got the mindset that it's not about my pleasure, it's about ensuring that she's satisfied before I'm satisfied, then you'll do whatever you can do to in order to fight to that state before you know, because for us, like I said, it's relatively quick for us to get up. And again, I think even as a man, I think there is a sense of pride when you know that your your woman's being sexually satisfied and she's happy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've talked to a number of people too about their sex lives and what has gone on. And for the women who perhaps spent many years and never actually did climax, they don't even realize what it feels like to climax so so they may have like you said sexual pleasure which you have on the rise up to orgasm they have i have talked to women who've actually thought that that was the orgasm they didn't realize that there was more because they never reached that high well if you've never reached that high you're still down on this part where it's enjoyable in the foreplay or you know that rise to the climax and you think that's all there is you don't know that there's more. And then when you do, what a different plateau that is. But that, like you were saying, does not happen for men because it's so much easier for men to climax and ejaculate. It's just just the way it is. But the way women's anatomy is, it's so much more tucked in and then part of it's internal and outside is very small. Not Not that the other parts of the vulva are not pleasurable to be touched. It's just that the one, the big spot, the clitoris is very small and it is 
necessarily not the same size woman to woman. Mm -hmm. So it's just, again, that's that whole education piece that we're missing. And then I feel so sad when I talk to women that spent a number of years not knowing that they weren't actually climaxing until they actually did. And there was like this light bulb went off and they're like, whoa, and how much have they missed out on? That's really sad. Yeah. I hear you. It's, it, is, it is tragic, to be honest, when you when I think about it like that. And it's something that, again, I think, again, I think things are changing, thankfully. I think there's more, yes, you know, people that's helping women to understand what they're capable of experiencing and re- recognising their sexual potential. But there is one thing that if a woman hasn't experienced a climax, which obviously a number of women haven't, mm-hmm. probably for those women, they don't think they're missing anything. Right. But then the issue is, is when a woman does experience a sexual climax, right? And this is what mm-hmm. a lot of men are quite worried about, is that now she's got an, another level of expectation that she wants to be fulfilled. So that's why now the onus is on the man to try and help get to that state. Right. Mm-hmm. That's why, again, that's why I think we need to have these conversations both with men and women, because I think it's great that a lot of women are being sexually empowered and they are, even if they haven't experienced an orgasm, they know what they can experience. So now, like yes. I said, we need to get men to that same level as well, where you need to try and do all that you can do to try and help your partner get to that, to that level as well. Because like I said, there is a bit of a disconnect between the two genders, which I'm trying to kind of, I think, yeah, we need to come together and be able to learn from each other. So and the orgasm gap is real. I mean, you know, it it's, it's just, it's just men are going to ejaculate faster. That's just the way it is. You know, you see jokes about that in the media and, oh, it takes her forever. And it's just, yeah, it's just, I understand joking. I totally understand joking, but sometimes it's like, you know, as a woman, I'm like, that's really not very funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's like insulting, you know, oh, well, it takes her so long. Why do I even bother? You know, like kind of that attitude. And again, that's why I think, uh, like like I was saying previously about the mindset, especially amongst men, needs to change. Because if yeah. men are going into sexual encounters feeling if my partner doesn't climax, again, I'm speaking in how men will kind of view it. I haven't done a good job. I haven't performed. Then mm-hmm. he won't feel like he's had good sex because he knows what the the expectation is and that's why in sometimes in some cases I think it's okay for men to go into a sex a sexual encounter being goal orientated but the question is mm-hmm. what is your goal I'm not saying that the goal should necessarily be an orgasm but the goal should be sexual fulfillment or sexual pleasure so if that's what your goal as in your partner being sexually fulfilled if that's the, he's that's the goal going into it then he will try and do whatever he can to ensure that she's sexually fulfilled she experiences an orgasm she experiences squat however she wants to wherever, wherever she sets the bar but he's going into mm-hmm. it saying that's that's now this is what sex is for me sex isn't just penis in vagina couple of pumps for a couple of right. minutes ejaculate and then i roll over and go to sleep that's not what sex is so if he redefines no. what sex is as in yes. sex, i've not had sex with a woman until she's been sexually satisfied then again the conversation i think will change but if yes. we're just looking at sex as you know just a an encounter where a man penetrates a woman and then whoever orgasms first and that's generally the man and that's when it's over then i think a lot of women will be unfortunately on the receiving end where they're going to feel dissatisfied because that's not going to be sufficient enough for them to to really feel fulfilled so yeah that's why again i think a lot of whilst again it's great a lot of work is done with women i just still think there's still a big gap in terms of helping men understand what is expected of them because again Absolutely. if men yes yeah, because if men aren't really going to get themselves to the level where they can help women 
feel comfortable and experience pleasure and orgasm, then we're not, we're, we won't be able to ever close orgasm gap. And just, it's quite interesting because a lot of the conversation around the orgasm gap, and I was in, I was speaking to a couple of companies recently, and I was saying that, how are we going to get men involved in this conversation? Because they had this wonderful ad, ad campaign, and it was, again, women speaking about, you know, the importance of owning their bodies and their sexuality and this and the other. And I said, that's fantastic. That's all well and good. But if we're speaking about orgasm or closing the orgasm gap, i.e. referring to the disparity between men and women experiencing sexual orgasms, we need to have men on the table as well to understand how they can get to, Yeah. You know, so it's, and that's where, again, I think a number of, like I would say, sexual wellness educators and companies, I think they're missing a trick somewhat in a sense of you cannot close orgasm gap without having men in the conversation as well, because women can't do it by themselves. Absolutely. And I feel like that there is, I don't know, maybe you can probably know more about this, but there's kind of a resistance in some men to, to want to hear this or learn this. And I don't know how, how, what the tools are to get them to want to learn if they are resistant. Yeah, this can sound quite controversial, but for me, this is how it works for me personally and the men that I know, shaming tactics. I know people don't like to use, associate sex with shame, especially when we speak about right. women, which I agree with. I think with men, sometimes shame and fear motivates men. That's why, like I said, I speak to men is very different to how I speak to women. If mm-hmm. men knew or felt that they were going to be shamed and because they wasn't able to help a woman climax... Right. They will do all that they can do in terms of learning and understanding in order that she feels sexually fulfilled. Right. The same way, fear, I think it motivates us in a way where we want to be better. Whereas I think when we're talking about shame with women, it's, it's a totally different conversation. And that's why, like I said, right. how, because again, with a lot of many, and I'm trying, let me try and explain the scenario for the average man that, okay, you've got a man, you say 30 years of age, he's had maybe, you say 12 sexual partners, not mm-hmm. one of those women in the years of him being sexually active has ever once complained about his sexual performance. Sure. Right? So he's had years of sexual experiences with different women. He's watched mm-hmm. porn. He's had conversations with men. So in his world, he's a great lover. Right. And if a woman comes and now tells him that she, even if he's been in a relationship with her or married to her for a number of years, that she hasn't experienced an orgasm, he will naturally right. be defensive and think, no, you've got the problem, not me. Right. Because he going by his history of those 12 sexual partners, all of them in his mind have been Mm -hmm. satisfied because they've never said anything otherwise. So that's why you can imagine for a man to hear a woman say that or for for men to hear that most women don't experience orgasm frequently, especially via sexual intercourse. That is like that blows Mm -hmm. a lot of men's mind because he would then have to reevaluate yeah. his whole sexual, <laughs> sexual life, which can be quite traumatic, <laughs> you know? So that's why, again, it, that's right. why, like I said, it's a case of having some form of empathy with men that, because if they're just hearing these statistics, yeah. it's just going to be like, what are you saying? It's like, are you saying that my, my whole sexual life up until this point has been a lie? And then if it has been a lie, am I, right. you know, you're effectively saying that, how can I then rebuild that trust with a woman again? That's why it's right. quite delicate because if we, you're you're effectively saying that all of his previous sexual partners have, have lied to him in the most intimate experience that you can enjoy with one with another person. So then, how can you rebuild rebuild that trust with someone else? That's right. right. That's why it's a bit of a dilemma for a lot of men. Whereas they need to understand the reasons why a lot of women don't feel comfortable enough to vocalize their displeasure or why they haven't been able to orgasm or why they've been 
why they've been faking. If he can get to that point where he can understand, empathise with, again, the social pressure that a lot of women have been placed under, then he can then reevaluate and not look at himself as, it's just an unfortunate situation, but not look at himself as a disappointment, so to speak, or a bad lover. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's hard for some women to, the other issue that we have is it's hard for some women to communicate that, like, I'm not orgasming or I haven't, you know, and, you know, as partners, people like to build each other up. And that can be a pretty damaging thing to say that, no, I'm not climaxing, even if, you know, the man thought that she was or that she was enjoying to find out all of a sudden that she's not. And what does that say about him? Yeah. I mean, especially if she hasn't said anything for a number of years. Yeah. That's why, mm-hmm. again, if she were to be quite front, I know, again, it can be quite difficult, but at the same time, I mean, I, I love the the saying, close, closed mouths never get fed. So if a woman right. is quiet and she's not <laughs> saying what she wants, she can't yes. then be expected to be fed. So whilst I do right. empathize with women at the same time, I think it's important that, and again, rather than waiting for others to empower them, they need to empower themselves. And then is and then say, yes. say it from the beginning, this is what I want. So have these sexual expectations, sexual demands. And I'm using those words intentionally. So if you've got these expectations mm-hmm. and these demands and you're vocalizing it from the first time you're intimate with your partner, and again, excuse my language, but fuck his feelings. Right. Men need to hear that in the beginning. Because if you're going to yeah. not say anything and then five years in, two years in, 10 years down the line, now you want to say it, you're going to crush him. Right. Yeah. You know, so again, and I think a lot of men, we can handle it in the beginning, especially if this is, you set the tone, this is what you want, or this is what you need. And again, there's different ways of saying it. I'm not saying, you know, right. you say that, oh, that was trash. I've had better before. No, this is what I need. Or can let's do this. Let's, that's why I don't encourage faking it because again, you're not helping yourself. Right. No, you're not. And you're not, you're not going to be reacting normally or naturally. And in fact, I think that ends up leads to confusion because he may be like, well, last time she made this sound when I did this and now she's not, you know, that's, it just leads to confusion if you're faking it. Yeah. And with a lot of men, well, I know for myself anyway, we have like a, I call it like a sexual inventory where we replay in our mind different things maybe a woman has said or done when we performed a certain act. So we naturally mm-hmm. go to that. <laughs> we okay, naturally go to sure. that. So if, that's, if we've done something like <laughs> a previous partner that's elicited a certain response, we'll think, uh-huh. okay, this is what I need to do. Especially, again, and for the men that are listening, they will understand what I'm saying in this. Especially when we are at a point of no return or where we feel like we're going to ejaculate, we need to find something to kind of, and that's why, like I said, to divert her attention, because again, like I said, for a lot of us, sex can be quite performative. So it may mm-hmm. be a case of where, because we're really aroused or really excited, we're ready to go within a couple of minutes, but we know that she needs longer. So we need right. to do certain things in order to delay or prolong the session. So that's why we might go to our sexual inventory and be like, okay, what about mm. done previously? Maybe I pretend that I'm in <laughs> Pretend, oh, <laughs> let me go down on you, babes. You know, do all of these other things to divert the attention from continuing to frost so then you sure. can recover. So this is, again, this is part of the tricks that mentally that we play in our mind as men. Because like mm-hmm. I said, if it was just about orgasming and ejaculating, it's very quick and easy for us. Whereas if it's about sexual fulfillment, sexual pleasure, then we need to adopt a more holistic approach. And it's not just about us. And that's why, again, I think in the first instance, it's important that women sexually empower themselves not wait for others to empower them and then sexually demand 
what they want from their partners and communicate effectively. Because one thing I would say is that a lot of women do communicate, but they do not communicate effectively. Mm. What I mean by that is that they may be saying certain things or expressing, or they think that they're expressing their displeasure, but it's not clear. And sometimes, like, like I said, as men, we need direct clinical, sometimes instructions or like an appraisal of, of how good or bad or indifferent last night was and then we can reevaluate and then come correct so that's why when I mentioned about like shame and fear in a way that motivates men in a good way that's not right. to say that you put him down that he pulls down his, his his pants and then you look at him like oh that's tiny I'm not saying that I'm not saying to mock or humiliate your your partner but right set expectations and and I don't think men will be troubled so much by that it may be taken aback by at first because they're not used to that but I think at least it sets the tone the same way women set the tone for example in a relationship or marriage when it comes to certain things that she may want in terms of anniversaries birthdays love languages Mm -hmm. so the same way a woman sets her tone or expectations in a relationship and then the man has to meet that if he wants to stay with her likewise I think she should set those those demands and expectations in the bedroom and not be afraid of and again, I know it can be very difficult because a lot of women, unfortunately, you know, slut shamed or if they said yes. the month and they, you know, then that's, yeah, that's, that's where it can be delicate. But I would, I would just yeah. say to that, that keeping silent is just not going to help anyone, especially in the long run. No. So whilst I, like I said, I do empathize with a lot of women not wanting to vocalize, but when you're intimate with someone, I think then you have to be able to, because if you're comfortable enough to share your body with someone, you should be able right. to be comfortable to share what's in your heart. Right. And women can get there. Women who are afraid of this or feel like they can't talk about it to try to, you know, there are ways that they can help themselves become empowered and ways to communicate. If you can't actually say it to your partner, you could write it down. You could send an email and maybe that will bring you to actual discussion one-to-one, but you know, maybe they need some sort of more indirect step first, but yes. you know, Oh yeah, it, it, that's a good point. Sorry to cut you off there. Oh no, go ahead. Yeah, that's that's a good point. The indirect. So again, in terms of, so maybe I came across as a bit too harsh. If and maybe not initially. Obviously, it depends on, on your partner, but not necessarily. You need to come with a direct mm-hmm. approach. But the indirect approach can be just as effective, if not more. But even the way you're saying it. So rather than saying, like for example, like if we ask, how was it last night, and you say. I didn't climax or I didn't, or it was trash. Rather than saying that, which is, can become across very negative, you can talk about what you need for it to be better. Oh, I liked when you did X, Y, and Z. You should do this more. Or I liked when we, so you're concentrating on the positives. And then right. next time when you're intimate, you're, you're going to place more emphasis on those things yes. that he did that was good, that he can continue doing that. So rather than just, again, just rubbishing it and just saying, oh, I didn't climax or I didn't come or whatever, you're talking about the little things that he did well that you wish he would continue doing and then that will get you to the promised land so yeah it's just been about yeah being clever knowing your partner but but not being afraid to talk about what he needs to do to get you to that place right yeah when you were talking we were talking earlier I think when you were talking I had this thought in my head that recently when I interviewed a, a sex another sexologist a sex writer and her comment was she often says to people men who don't really understand she's she says how would you feel if every time you've had sex, your penis was not touched. And I thought, wow, that's a really poignant thing because if a woman's, a woman's clit is not touched during sex, many women 
but the majority of women are going to come only from clit stimulation. There are a portion of women that can come from just internal stimulation. And a lot of women like both at the same time, but how, how telling is that statement to say, how would you feel if every time you had sex, your penis was not touched? And this is what happens to some women when their clit is completely ignored during sex. Any, any kind of accountant and, you know, sexual encounter, it's like, how, how would they feel if they never had their penis touched when they were in a sexual encounter? I mean, that's, that's like, wow, you know, <laughs> I thought it was a good way to say yeah, it. That, that is, that's a brilliant way to say it. And another way as well, which I, when I speak to men, I always tell them, you know, when you're getting to the point of no return or when you're about to climax and then you get in there and imagine she just stops and pulls out. Yes. That, frust- that level of frustration that you feel. Imagine yes. that was your regular experience of sex. If that was your regular experience of sex, where you get to the point where you're just about to climax, but you don't. Yes. So that level of frustration that you're feeling. If that was what you thought about when you thought about sex, you wouldn't want to have right. sex that often, would you? And a lot of oh, exactly. So it's just again, it's just relaying it in this in a way that they can understand because, again, like the previous example you gave, which is brilliant about imagine, imagine having sex without your penis being touched. For them, it's yep. non-existent. It's not sex. And right. then secondly, imagine it's a frustration as well. Imagine you're getting to, you're having sex. It's great, but then you don't climax. A lot of men that feels even worse. Right. And that's mm-hmm. all good. That also resonates with a number of men when I use it as that particular example as well, because this idea that women don't like sex is not true. It's maybe they're not liking the sex that they have it. Right. And or so, they may have never even climaxed. Or they may have they not may climaxed. Think... Yeah. Exactly. So that's why when people say things like, oh, women don't like sex or they're not as sexual as men, it's not, that's not the case. It's that maybe a woman doesn't want to waste her time to have bad sex. Right. And for men, sex and orgasm is like one and the same. Like in a lot of yes. men's minds, you cannot have, it's not impossible, it's not possible to have sex without having an orgasm. Whereas True. with women, that's not the case. So that's why, again, yeah. for us, when we're talking about sex, we're effectively saying, I want an orgasm with this woman. Whereas that's not necessarily the, the case with women. So that's why, again, it's about explaining, I'm hoping men understand what it's like for women and what women go through. And then, like, like the example that you gave and what I've given, there are things I think that men can kind of relate to. But okay, now I see it in a different light. But unfortunately, these, you know, because of the sexual scripts that we receive in the Western world, and again, especially from porn, mm-hmm. he understands that, or he misunderstands that women do all orgasm via, via vaginal intercourse. So as far as he's right. concerned, he's doing anything, he's doing the right things because right. of what he's been, you know, what he's been taught, even though it's incorrect information. That's right. You know, and it's a case of how do we give him a new sexual scripts? How do we right. empower him to, so he thinks, because it's funny because when we speak about like, like the sex positions in the Karma Sutra, Everyone yeah. knows of about the Karma Sutra, Sutra, but very few people have actually read it. So when we people right. talk about the Karma Sutra and they just, the first thing that comes to people's minds is all of the elaborate sex positions when less than 25% of the book actually speaks about sex positions. Yeah. And even the reason why it speaks about sex positions, it's about sexual compatibility for people with different genital sizes. Like there's certain positions that are more suitable in terms of more pleasurable for a man who's got a smaller penis and a woman's got mm. maybe a larger vulva, so to speak. So it's the reason why he gave different positions was they're supposed to be complementary, depending on the different genital sides of both the person and mm. their partner. But that's been lost. People just look at, you know, the Karma Sutra is in, okay, this is a tick 
tick box exercise. I need to do all of these sexual positions or I need right. to kind of go through these 64 arts of, of this, of mm-hmm. the Kama Sutra. And then I'm, I'm a sex expert and it doesn't work like that. It was talking no. ultimately is about pleasure. It's about connection. So when we're speaking yeah. about these things, it's not, again, it's, it's subjective and it's about understanding what works for you and your partner. Similarly, when we speak about the five love languages, again, I think in a way people have kind of lost that because that whole book that Gary Chapman wrote was about how do you understand your partner's love language and obviously understand yours so you can communicate that to your partner so then right. there needs to be some form of harmony yep. within the relationship because it's all well and good knowing what you want like you can say yeah words of affirmation that's that's what I need great what does your partner want or need I don't know so if you don't know what your partner needs how can you then or you think that he, <laughs> his love language is word of affirmation and it might be quality time then you're doing him a disservice by giving him something that he doesn't necessarily need, but you're giving him what you need, you know? So that's why, again, when we speak about, you know, male-female relationships and the dynamics, it's really interesting because we see things, again, I'm generalising here, but we see things differently, but what is quite difficult, but also challenging in a good way, and it makes life interesting, is understanding what our partner needs and wants and and understanding that we do evolve and we change. So that's why should relationship should be something that keeps you both on your toes, both you and, you know, both you and your partner. So he's or she's trying to understand you and you are trying to understand your partner. So that's something like, again, I think we don't really embrace enough because I think people just look at it like maybe the Hollywood, it's just supposed to be great. We click love at first sight yeah. or we just talk about the problem, yep. not talking about, okay, how can you right. go through when there's a sexual lull? Cause that does happen when there's a low, you know, loss in desire from either sex how do you mm-hmm. how do you then reignite the passion in your in your relationship how do you cultivate right. the love that you need it's it's that's all that's what it's supposed to be like the couple should try and understand and try and um try and try and get to that with themselves but unfortunately I think men just have just become I was going to say a breed or a creature where we just bitch and moan about women amongst our male friends and unfortunately yeah. women have just about men with their female friends not trying to understand how do we understand each other and coming together whether we can create magic and and a central union right and one thing I was thinking when we were talking earlier is about how how do we get get rid of that how do we get it where it's just it's a communication where it's between two people and not oh well my my wife wants this or my girlfriend wants this we have to realize it's so individual that you can't even compare. You just have to flat out communicate together to figure out what is needed per person. And you can make generalizations all you want, but it still is, it's what your partner needs and wants. So you have to communicate. Yeah, hundred percent. And like what you said, it's, it's individual. And that's something which, and I think this is something that people need to realize is when we, when people look at books and guides Mm-hmm. or people speaking generally they are how I look at it it's a guide you take mm-hmm. that which is applicable that which you like and you incorporate that that which you dislike or that which doesn't work for you you leave it not everything you need to take and 100% into your relationship right the same way maybe what your friend is going through you don't take all of your friend's problems or their successes and try and incorporate into your life because you are your own unique individual person and likewise your partner his own unique individual person but it's understanding again like you individuality of every relationship is different you have got you know broad generalizations and things like 
has worked or what commonly works. But like I said, you just take what for you and leave it, which doesn't. So, but in order to get to that point, there needs to be a level of understanding that everything I've heard or read, that may be great, but that may not necessarily work for me. That may not necessarily work for us. Right. And that's okay. Right. You, so in a way, sometimes too much information yep. can be bad. <laughs> too much yes, it can you, be. Because <laughs> naturally you compare. Naturally you look at, oh, this is what we someone, did. this is what this, like someone is telling you about how great their love life is and how great their sex life is. And, and yes. so naturally you're comparing, how come I'm not feeling that? How come right. I'm not? And that's, that's where it's a problem. So that's why in a way, sometimes the lesser you know, the better in terms of your content or mm-hmm. you approach it that okay I may listen to all of these things but that not understand that may not necessarily work for me and be happy with that right and the other thing I was thinking about is that when people are in a long-term relationships eventually you have to start to let go of stuff that happened or that they did 10-15 years ago because if you keep thinking oh my partner thought or did this 10-15 years ago and that still applies without talking about it that is so detrimental and you're not going to make any progress or get any closer if you're thinking, oh, well, you know, he or she liked this 10 years ago. Why don't they like it now? Or you just assume that they like it now because yeah. they did once in the past, twice or 50 times, you know? Yeah. I think there definitely has to be a level of, yeah, for people like in long-term relationships, marriage, married, what have you, they have, they have to, you have to develop a level of, uh, there has to be mutual understanding. Because everyone understands themselves and they're very mm-hmm. passionate, compassionate with themselves, but not necessarily com- as compassionate with others or their partner. Right. Mm-hmm. Because we all change. We all evolve. Yep. We all like different things. And we understand that for ourselves because we know we can justify anything to ourselves. Why we why we've done something because mm-hmm. we know right. ourselves. But when it's someone else, <laughs> yep. no, 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 no. I don't understand that. You need to give me. It doesn't make <laughs> sense to me. So that's, right, why, that's, right. be, that's why I said that's to be mutual understanding and a level of humility mm-hmm. as well. Because yeah. maybe because your partner has changed, and I won't necessarily say for the better or for the worse, but not mm-hmm. in accordance with what you expect. It doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad thing. It's just that now maybe he or she likes something that previously that they used to like or that you liked. Now it's different. So now you have to reevaluate and, and accept that in him or her. And that's why I just think, again, if and this is where sometimes, and I think maybe the people of the past are somewhat better at this than and then us sometimes when you tell the world your secrets and I'm, by the world I mean like your friends and other like for advice mm-hmm. you're inviting all of those people into your relationship yeah and they're they're naturally not saying they're doing it from a malicious place they're naturally going to bring in their biases their views their rationale of why you should do x y and z and mm-hmm. it may work for them but necessarily work for you and especially when we're speaking within the realms of sex although it's an intimate private that now it's becoming quite public. I still think in order to, to ensure sexual compatibility and, um, and ultimate happiness, there has to be a level of, okay, we, we've got outside voices, but really this is between me and you. We need to work together yeah. in terms of what works for us. Right. You know, because naturally, like I said, if you're bringing others in, you, you naturally will measure how often do we have sex? Oh, we only have it yeah. two times a month now. Whereas before we used to have it, two times a week and my friends are having sex. She's telling me how great her sex life is. Well, he's telling me, you know, and naturally you're going to feel that you're less than when, if you didn't have that information, you'd have been, you could have been content, both of you, with how your sex life is and you're not comparing right. others. You know, so that's why I don't like to use too many metrics in the sense of what's a, a normal sex life in terms of how many times you're supposed to have sex, how long you're supposed to last and this and the other, because I think it just brings unnecessary uh 
unless unless it's unnecessary like expectations, which I don't think people need. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's 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 got to be about like you said, the sexual pleasure and the level that each partner wants. That's what's important. Not that you had sex every day or that you had sex every 15 days, whatever. You know, it's more about satisfaction. Exactly. Are you both satisfied? Yeah. I look at it like, I look at sex or sexual pleasure, like happiness. How you viewed happiness or what made you happy as a 12-year-old girl is very different to whatever age you are now. Yes. Same what made me happy. And, and we all understand that. When we speak about yes. happiness, we understand how it changed depending on where we right. are. In but unfortunately, that's why, again, like I said, I like to focus on pleasure as opposed to sex itself, because sex is something that you can measure sex. How many times we're having sex? How long is it sex? This, that, and the other. Whereas pleasure yep. is more, it's more subjective and it's more holistic yes. and it varies from individual to individual. But I think the word pleasure is not really a sexy title, so to speak. Right. So why people, you know, like orgasm. That's why even like the documentary I made with the BBC, I initially, because I was doing a webinar and it was mm. called the pleasure gap. And I wanted to talk ah, about yes. That's what the uh-huh. emphasis was. And they came and filmed it. And then they just used the term orgasm, which I understand they used, they went with the title of the orgasm gap just because yeah. it's more catchy. People kind of, yep. they kind of think they know what it means. Whereas if you say pleasure gap, what does that mean? It's quite ambiguous. So I can mm. understand why, but that's why even though I talk a lot about sex, it's really about like satisfaction and pleasure and how that varies yeah. from individual to individual. So if you are someone who wants to engage in sex multiple times or you want to be celibate for a period of time, that's all. That's fine and you can still be sexually empowered. But if we're just using the word sex, then naturally, again, people will feel pressured that they need to have sex X amount of times to be sex positive or sexually empowered, which again, I think can be quite problematic. Yeah, so unfortunately, we do have to use words that more understood across a broader group of people. Like you said, you say the pleasure gap. Well, geez, that could be about, you know, going in a swimming pool and relaxing in the sun. It could be about enjoying a meal. But the moment you put orgasm in there, people know, oh, that's about sex. Exactly. (laughs) So unfortunately, you know, we know what these words mean and people who study these things and talk about it know these things, but, you know, make it applicable across people and get them the point across yeah, you have to sometimes just use the word orgasm, even though you really want to use the word pleasure. I totally get that. (laughs) Being a a writer myself, I totally understand that. It's interesting how that will reach more people and be more poignant and help them realize, okay, this is about sex. This isn't about, you know, eating an ice cream cone and that's pleasurable, you know? And again, you probably, sorry. Oh, no, no, go ahead. Now, just the last part, I was just going to say, and again, obviously you would know this as a writer, because at the end of the day, if you're writing something that you want to, you know, communicate or transmit a message, if it's going to be lost on the reader, then you haven't done your job as a writer. So you need to come to or speak to people yes. in their language and, way that, and use words in terms that they understand or that can resonate or that can, you know, can trigger something in them or elicit a response. So like, and that's why, again, when I was speaking earlier about the differences of when I'm speaking to men and women, like oftentimes mm-hmm. I will hear, um, or some women that I work with will, will, would want to do like an event and say, oh, can we entitle like love and intimacy, but directs at men. I said, men aren't generally going to listen to that. Right. We need no. to hear something like quite like, you know, like, oh, like, like even the name of your podcast. Oh, fuck. Yeah. That's intriguing as men. We need, yeah, <laughs> exactly. We're, we're going to listen to that. If you just say something like love and intimacy or, it's yes. connection, deep cultivating the relationship. It's like, what does that mean? Like, don't look at that. And I'm like, yeah, that's for my girl to get or my wife. So. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true too. Like, yeah, I mean, you, if you put up two titles in front of a man, I can see love and intimacy or how to have better sex. Well, you know which one they're going to pick. Exactly. 
exactly. <laughs> so yeah, you do need to understand that when you're when you're trying to market things to people or trying to reach them and just you know grab their attention, you have to pay attention to your audience and how they're going to perceive that and how what they're going to you know pull from that title and what's going to be their automatic trigger, 100%. so to speak. So I have a question I would love to talk about. So your book, The Kanyaza, The Secret to Female Pleasure, I was reading the description of that. And it said that a practice that triggers female ejaculation and multiple orgasms in women during heterosexual encounters, and it can bring women to climax in less than five minutes. I think that's a great tool for people to have. And like you were saying, how you have this toolbox, you know, your go-to list of things to do. Can you give us like, just like a little description of what that is? Sure. So with the Kanyaza practice, how, and I'll, before I explain the practice, I'll I'll just share, which is kind of going to talk about the practice itself, but the story or the origin of Kanyaza. So according Mm -hmm. to ancient um, legend in Rwanda, there was a queen who was, her husband was away on a military expedition. So whilst the king was away, the queen started to yearn for her husband. She was really, she missed him and she was, she was yearning for some sexual attention. So she mm-hmm. summoned one of her guards to come and make love to her. Now the guard at this time, he was really, he was petrified because he was one, he was, you know, thinking about the consequences if, you know, the king came yeah. and found out that you know, <laughs> someone had slept with his wife. So he initially refused. She summoned him and said, you know, if you don't, you know, make love to me, you're going to be in trouble. And mm. then as the guards came towards her in her in her in her room, he was holding his penis and he was shaking, he was trembling. And as he was coming towards her, the legend says that he was shaking his penis so hard and trembling so much against her clitoris that from there a large gush of water emanated from her from her her loins or from her urethra. And from there it was said the lake Kivu, which is one of the largest lakes in East Central Africa, was was birthed. And then when the king came back, then the queen told the king, this is how I want you to satisfy me, that way mm. you perform this practice. And that's how it said the Kinyasa tradition was formed. And from then it's been tweaked slightly and it's been taught from generations to generations. And mainly women teaching, older women teaching younger women and um, men in the older men teaching younger men about this is what you need to, need to do in order to help the woman experience both sexual orgasm, I mean, female orgasm and female ejaculation so the gush of fluid or the ejaculate is known as kunyara and the technique the tapping technique is called kunyaza now in terms of how the technique very 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 briefly how it works is that first and foremost and i always emphasize this and i'm going to the technique itself the woman needs to feel psychologically prepared for pleasure and she needs to be aroused so it's mm-hmm. not a case of the woman comes in and you're straight away, let's perform kunyaza and then I'm going to do this type of technique. No. So obviously every woman is different, but that's why the man needs to ensure, obviously, and the woman, that she's in a, in a she's in the right state of mind where she is ready to experience this pleasure. And she gives herself permission to experience pleasure. Now, once she's obviously she's in that, that headspace, then in terms of the technique, how it works is that there's different positions, but the main position is where a woman sits on buttocks with her legs spread out, like, in a, you know, you could say like in a, a frog-like way. And then he mm. will sit in between her legs, again, his legs either side of her, and then with his penis, or he would do it with his, on his knees. And he'll hold his penis, preferably an erect penis, and he'll use his penis to tap along on, on her clitoris or clitoral glands, and then along her labia minora in a form of a zigzagging. So from left to right, from the top of her clitoris down to the entrance of her vagina. And then he also can also do the tapping technique or the rubbing technique up and down, like horizontally. Now, the whole idea is that 
he does this to not only tease the clitoris, but the areas around around the clitoris. Because with, for example, the labor minora, we know that the inner clitoris sits behind the, the, the clitoris. Now, for some women, the clitoral glands is the most sensitive erogenous area. For other women, it may be sometimes when you're pressing too much on the, on the clitoris, doesn't give them the response that they need. So maybe you want to kind of tease that. So the whole idea is whether you're doing the kunyaza tapping on a zigzag form or up and down, like horizontally or vertically, the whole idea is just to get to know the woman's body. And then obviously you're doing it where she is. It's like, for example, a woman stimulating, masturbating or self-pleasuring herself. But this way, the man's doing it with his penis. And one of the mm. beauties of the, of the tradition is that the man is learning the female anatomy and what she both responds to. Now, in between the kunyaza tapping, he can also slowly penetrate the vagina and then come out, but then and then go back to the kunyaza. So you do the tapping, again, you can do it for a minute or two, then he can slowly penetrate and then come out and then again, slowly tapping. And the whole idea is, again, it's similar to when a woman is, like I said, masturbating, you are teasing the clitoris, but not teasing, not spending too much time on the clitoris. So you're going to build up sexual tension and sexual arousal and hopefully obviously provided that the woman is in the right frame of mind and she's allows herself that should help her experience both a, a climax and ejaculation. And that sort of is kind of like the term that people say for edging or you're teasing. Yes, you're exactly. Building. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. So similar to like edging and, and, and the wonderful thing like with edging or like with the kunyaza when you're doing it, because the man is in control, one of also the benefits also for him is teaching him ejaculatory control. Because obviously mm-hmm. we know as a man, the uh, the penis is the most sensitive area. But because he's in control and he's not just thrusting and he's not in her, he can, even when he's doing the tapping, he's he can do it where he's tapping with the tip of the, the head of the penis, the glands. And then if he feels like he's getting, he's getting that tingling sensation, and many will know what I mean by that, where he feels he's going to bust or <laughs> a nut, uh-huh. then he will use his, the shaft of his penis. So he's still stimulating her and giving his partner what she wants. But at the same time, he's orgasmic feeling should subside in him where he then gets ejaculatory control where he can still perform the kunyaza on, on him and that's something that again it's got benefits both for the man and the woman woman obviously she's been stimulated and it's not just about uh vaginal intercourse and she's getting the clitoral stimulation that most women need and on the man's part not only is he uh, pleasuring her but also is teaching him to delay his 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 pleasure delay his orgasm for her now again one of the things i've noticed as well when i've done a couple of kunyaza workshops in in the uk and, and parts of europe is that because unfortunately a lot of women because of you know what we see in the media and porn there's a lot of women that have issues with the way their genitalia looks so mm. that's that's why the kunyaza practice can be quite difficult for and that's why again it's, it's all about making sure the woman feels comfortable if the woman has reservations about genitalia she may not feel comfortable where a man has that access so to speak with her where because mm. he's actually looking at her yeah, and that's that why focus. it's important and focus, but that's why it's important that the man has to reassure and compliment and speak about how yes. beautiful her vulva is. So that's why, again, oh, yeah. some, of, some of the hangups that maybe some women may face because of the body image issues and, and issues that they may have with their genitals, because that's not necessarily the case in other parts of the world, that's why they don't, they don't really stress and talk about it so much because in some parts of the world, women are more com- comfortable with, with their genitalia. That's why when I'm speaking mm-hmm. to men, I'm always emphasizing the importance. A, familiarize yourself not necessarily i'm talking about having multiple sexual partners but familiarize yourself with understanding the diversity of the vulva 
So you're mm-hmm. not going to, when you start, maybe go, when you first perform cunnilingus or kunyaza, then you're surprised with how her genitalia, every woman's genitalia is different and it's unique and there's nothing wrong with that. And it's fine. Right. So first familiarize right. yourself with that and not just going back to your sexual inventory, like I mentioned before, from what you've seen in porn and have those yep. expectations. Because just a little, because a man can say the wrong thing and that yes. can go off and that for years. And that's what a lot of men don't realize. Yeah. Look. So that's why, again, if anything there's a lot of work that men need to do mentally so when she allows when she's fully vulnerable in that state and he's about to whether perform cunnilingus or kunyaza there is nothing in his face which kind of indicates a sense of surprise or shock yes that's why i always stress that that with men because again again it's very difficult again unfortunately because of what a lot of women have been subjected to in terms of what is considered to be a a normal you know vulva vagina what have you so that's why the preparation work is just as important, if not more important than that actual clitoral tapping. Because like I said, if a woman doesn't feel comfortable with her partner, that's why, again, when I was speaking so much about, it's great we're having these um, these empowerment workshops that are happening f- for women. But when a woman's going to be now alone with a man, all her friends can't be with her. Right. So if she's got all of this, she's confident, she's with, you know, all these, you know, maybe in women's group and they're looking at each other's vulvas and it's giving themselves all of these affirmations and how beautiful they are that's wonderful but now when you're when she's alone with her partner she's vulnerable again and that's why again the same conversation like I said needs to be had but with men to reaffirm her and to reassure her right and I mean as a woman I'm gonna say you know I love compliments I love to be told I'm attractive or beautiful so if, if you're gonna build up a person for women, maybe men feel the same way, but I just know a lot of women that that's important and to feel sexy. And so if your partner is complimenting your vulva rather than like having a cringe or a whoa, or a, any kind of distaste, what a huge tool that is to build up that woman and put her in the place where she is comfortable enough to be like, Oh, okay. There's no shame about the way I look. There's nothing gross or disgusting. This is me and it's acceptable. In fact, it's even beautiful. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I like the words like gross, disgusting, I don't use that with when I speak to, to men, like in terms of, and I tell them that shouldn't even be in your vocabulary when you're with a woman. And right. and again, this is where, where I talk about like shame that any man that does use those type of language, he's a boy, he's a child, to make them feel yep. inferior because there's no man should go to any sexual encounter and he uses those words or even thinks about or even quit. Like, if anything, you're supposed to use the total opposite, like to compliment, to talk about how beautiful it is. This is the type of things that needs to be instilled in men from even a, yes. a relatively young age. And as in, this is what is expected of you, you know? Yes. So that's and, you know, in our, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, sorry, go <laughs> no I was just going to say how much people, and, our, and you know, unfortunately, there's a huge value on being attractive as a woman. And so if that part of the body is not addressed as also being beautiful, I don't know. I feel like something's lost. And, and unfortunately that becomes important to women to feel sexy, to feel beautiful. That affects their sexuality and how they're going to experience that sexual encounter with their partner. hundred percent. And because um, the vulva is, is probably the part of the body where, the least the woman a woman's going to experience um the least amount of compliments because very few people have access to that right that's why if anything it's more important that the man is aware of the vulva and compliments the vulva because for example every so many people have seen a woman's hair a woman's even breasts face Mm -hmm. but she's naturally going to hear do you understand she'll naturally be accustomed to hearing compliments or things spoken about her other parts of her body but 
even yep. the buttocks probably more people have seen it like going out on the beach and things like that but because the vulva is one of unless she's a, a nudist is probably only only her female part i mean only her sexual partners and maybe one or two of her three close friends have seen right. that's why yep. it's even important that the man affirms that and speaks about how beautiful not just doesn't say anything but yeah actively or proactively compliments it and talks about how beautiful and that's i'm a big proponent as well for cunnilingus as well and i think it goes and again i again if this may sound problematic but i shame men who look at especially men who feel if you don't want to do it that's fine but men who feel they can receive like fellatios but they won't go down again this very um, idiotic childlike mentality needs to be eradicated and, absolutely and and again so that's why like i said so the men who hold these these views is very you know like i do challenge men who even you know like who will say that they expect to receive but they won't give and right. they take a sense of pride in that and it's like what kind of sense of pride in it i mean do you take in that that you like to receive pleasure but don't want to give pleasure or this idea right. that i don't want to be seen as submitting to a woman's like what's wrong with you like it's just and again that's why <laughs> in those cases i'm more than happy or to say that those type of men or those type of ideas need to be shamed to make them feel yeah feel comfortable to say that in public or even to say that with someone but if we've created an mm-hmm. environment or allowed an environment where men feel this the norm or like yeah i would only go down on certain women so like, what kind of stupidness is that then right. they feel actually i need to maybe change that that mindset so to speak so yeah i think it's important like again unfortunately especially now with um so i i was before posting quite a bit on like the vulva and speaking about the diversity in the vulva to try and educate people especially like with men but because there's been a bit of a, a clamp down on social media platforms instagram for one mm, i've been yes. very careful now with even 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 using words because yeah it's which is which is quite unfortunate because again i think it is a lot of men we're not even if you've because even like even if you've had a number of sexual partners a number of men, unless they enjoy going down on a woman, unless they like they enjoy oral sex, they might not really know what really vulvas look like because they're just concerned with sticking it in, doing what they need to right. do. Like, so yep. even for them, it's like that's why they can't really. And I'm saying this not to shame them, empathize and understanding because a lot of men, like I said, if oral sex is not in your your sexual script, you just really focus. And again, especially when you get over, I would say, I don't know how it is in America, but in the UK over maybe like 14, 15 years of age. You're not even mm-hmm. thinking about fingering a girl anymore. It's just about penetration. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm saying for a lot of men, so we're not even, and even if you're fingering, even if you go back to the, whenever so, people started fingering, you won't, oftentimes, generally, you don't even look at the woman's. Yes, you right. Just exactly. do what, you just fiddle around and you see her response. And, oh, yeah, she likes that. Right. But there's no actual, right. tr- there's, you're not actually trying to be intimate with the vulva. And that's a problem. Right. Yes, so that, that, that's, exactly. something, that, that's something that I've been thinking about quite a bit about, that how do we get to the stage where men feel comfortable to, to look, you know, even if you see like a diagram, you don't cringe and look away like, oh, like, you know, and, and look at the vulva as a sexual organ, not just like, or the vagina, yeah. not just, not just a birth canal, not just, oh, that's where women's, that's where children come out of. Right. You know? so, that, so, that, so that's what I've been thinking about. Okay, how can we... The vulva is already beautiful in its different forms, but how do you beautify it in the eyes, in the minds of men? If that makes right. sense, that's what that's something. That's another. That's something that I think maybe more work needs to be done on that. I think so too. I think you're totally right. Absolutely, that needs to be done, and it needs to be more normalized and not, you know, if a man says, 
yeah, you can give me a blowjob, but I'm not going to go down on you. That also makes a woman feel like shameful, like, you know, I'm not worth it. Or, you know, I do that for him. And this is where my urine comes out, but he's not going to touch that. Why is mine dirty? And his is not. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie at like that view is not, I don't, I hear that a lot. So it's not uncommon, unfortunately for men. Mm-hmm. And again, it does come, goes back into the idea that women are unworthy of pleasure or women's pleasure is less right. than men. As right. in, this is what I need to get off or this is what I like. What you need is not that important. What you need or what you want right. is financial stability. That's how a lot of men view it. That's unfortunate. Right. That's how, you know, like as in, okay, what you can demand from me is maybe some financial security, but anything other than that, even sex, that's for me. And that's why, like, like I said before about the importance of women empowering themselves and demanding what they want yes. in the bedroom, I think it's important because again, if, if women do not demand it, because it's all well and good, you can, you can have education, you can have all, so many sex educators and everyone speaking about it. But yep. if someone doesn't make that requirement for themselves from their partner, then nothing's going to change. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One thing I want to mention, I don't mean to backtrack, but I wanted to say something about when you were talking about the Kenyaza and how the penis is actually used. One of the things I really struck me, because this is a new thing for me to learn about from you, is that, you know, obviously as men, the penis is, you know, that is their tool. That is their joy. That is, that is sexuality to them. So when, when I thought of men tapping the penis on the vulva and the clitoris. I thought, what kind of a beautiful thing is that? Because it's really beautiful that the genitals are being used together. The man can feel more, I don't know, manly or ego built up that he's using his penis to pleasure her. And it isn't necessarily penetration, but he's still using that. Now, fingers are great. Tongue is great. But what a great technique so that he could feel like he's using his penis to pleasure her in a way that he has control over. He can slow down or increase and not ejaculate yet until she comes. I mean, just being exposed to this for the first time, I just think it's fantastic for what the female needs and what the male needs and what the male ego needs and what would build him up and be like, okay, I'm using my penis to to stimulate her. I'm using it to pleasure her. And I, I could see how that gives the man so much more control than when they are inside a woman, because they can quickly move it back. And it's not a full encompassing tactile feeling for him, where for her, it can be with, you know, responding to how she's, you know, feeling, bring her to orgasm before him. I just, I think it's really great. And I wanted to say that. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad you said that. And just by what you said, I can tell that you're well-versed in understanding men's psychology or men's sexual psychology, because that's why, again, the Kunyaza, I think why a lot of, it resonates as well with a lot of men, not just because of the whole squirting reputation. It's because, as you mentioned, like with men, with a lot of us, we associate our sexuality with our penis, like right. anything outside of our penis. And that's why we hold our penis so dear to our hearts. Like that's mm-hmm. what any thought of the, like, you know, you see it on like TV or men, if they're hearing, if they hear, hear about a man is someone punching him in the nuts, even the man, even mm-hmm. just saying that you cringe because right. everything, everything, especially with our manhood, especially our sexuality is associated with our penis. And with yep. the Kunyaza technique, like unlike, for example, oral sex or a central massage or yoni massage, which obviously you're using your hands because yes, that is pleasurable. But in terms of sexually, you know, it's not as pleasurable for you. You're pleasuring your 
the woman, but you're not feeling it as much, so to speak. Whereas obviously right. if you're using your penis, you're feeling yes. that sensation as well. So that so you're actually getting off from it as well as hopefully she is. So that's why yes. again, like I said, but it's just giving a different sexual script to what we're generally used to with vaginal intercourse because and that's a, I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of men, when I hear women saying, you know, which is true, that most women don't experience an orgasm via vaginal intercourse, it's like my penis is not good enough anymore. Is that what you're saying? Right. <laughs> so that's why for me, it's like, and I think it's not really a case of no, there's different things you can do with your penis, like Kunyaza, where your penis is still involved, but you're just using it differently. Yeah. Does that makes sense. But I don't think it's actually interesting the way you said that. And actually, it's maybe reflecting because, again, I think why a lot of men is natural pushback when we hear women saying most women don't orgasm via intercourse. It's like, so what you just want us to maybe do oral sex or give you a vibrator. And then I'm less involved as much as a woman may say, yeah, you know, we're enjoying it together. I'm not feeling that sensation as I would be if I was using my penis. Right. You know, yeah. so. And and it's just the whole thing of it being maybe perhaps sexier to both partners that it's just maybe just a little bit more sexy to be using a penis to be tapping around that area than a finger yeah. or even a tongue. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's the genitals together in a different way. So yeah, I just, that's, that's just fantastic. I, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just great. And more people need to participate and do that. So, you know, get, get your book, right. And learn all about that, <laughs> which is on Amazon, right? It is. It's on Amazon. Yeah. And I'll put all the links down in the, the podcast notes for the books too. But one other thing I wanted to ask you about when I was reading the description, Gosh, I would love to talk about all your books. You have so many great books. And I'll put all the links down in the podcast notes because you have so many great books out there. What is a K-spot? I've actually never heard of that. Okay, yeah. So the K-spot is basically what I re- I call this K-spot, basically the, the whole clitoris, so both the internal and external clitoris. Okay. So we obviously, we know the clitoris. And again, it's great now. There's been a number of works that's been done in recent years talking about mm-hmm. the whole anatomy of the clitoris. And we know that it kind of resembles somewhat like a wishbone with, you know, the, yep. the clitoral glands, the legs and, and the bulbs and things like that. And the reason why I call it case for A, paying homage to the Kunyaza tradition, because even when they spoke about the Kunyaza tapping, it's about pleasuring the entire clitoris, both internal and mm. external. That's mm-hmm. why when I was referring to, you tap the clitoral glands and then you tap the labia minora, but you're also indirectly stimulating the clitoris. Ultimately, you're tapping the clitoris. So you're not just mm-hmm. concentrating on the clitoral glands and also to try and help women who have maybe been circumcised or experienced FGM, where mm. unfortunately like the clitoral glands has, has been exercised, has been removed, but the internal clitoris right. still remains. So they still right. feel, and are, are, you know, they still got a clitoris and they, and they can also still experience pleasure. Because if we yes. just speak about the clitoris, just referring to the clitoral glands, I think mm-hmm. we're somewhat doing a disservice to women who, a, maybe their clitoris has been removed because they still have got a clitoris or, mm-hmm. uh, or B, other women or women who the internal clitoris may be just as um, enjoyable to elicit pleasure as a clitoral gland. Yes. So that's, that's, why I like, that's why I like, and that's why, I mean, even everyone's obviously speaking about the G-spot, but because of G-spot, it just refers to a certain area like in the mm-hmm. anterior wall of the vagina. And again, it can be quite cumbersome for couples to try and find that. And there's obviously a lot of this pressure to find out where can I find this so-called magical spot when we know right. that it's actually part of the clitoral, yes. part of the clitoris in and of itself. 
Yeah. I use the term like, so when you're looking at case, but it's not just this one particular spot. So again, you're not just trying to, you're not under pressure that you're trying to find this so-called special area, but it's exploring the different parts of the female anatomy, both directly and indirectly where the clitoris is to try and elicit this pleasure. So that's why, yeah, I call the entire clitoris the case, what, because like I said, when people generally use the clitoris, they just refer to the clitoral glands. Whereas if we're saying what's the case spot, it's the whole clitoris. And then you need to get to know and understand what the clitoris is, where it is in the in the woman's anatomy and then how you can find it and what's the most responsive area. Because some, again, for every woman is different. So that's what, in essence, the, cl- the case spot is a stair, both the internal and external clitoris. Yes. And I was talking with a sexologist who helped visualize or create some, I don't know, she either found it or she helped create the image of what an internal clitoris, enlarged internal clitoris looks like, what it looks like on the inside when it's enlarged. And she brought up a good point that I had never thought of before that, you know, we don't really know all the, think of how many different ways vulvas look. Mm -hmm. Potentially there could be that many different ways that the internal clitoris looks. It may be longer and the arms may be longer in some women. They may be shorter. They may be thicker. They may be further closer to her anus. So this is going to affect how women experience pleasure, something we're never going to know because you're not going to dissect yourself and see what your clitoris looks like. But, you know, I mean, it just speaks to the fact of differences in bodies and that it also explains why women have such different experiences. If their clits are that different on the outside, they've got to be that different on the inside. So again, we're speaking to individuality and reactions are going to be individual per woman. And it may have a lot to do with her structure, size, shape, orientation, all that stuff about the internal clit that we can't even elicit because we can't see it. You know, I mean, you can't see it. You can't, it's kind of this ambiguous thing. Like you just don't even know. It's kind of like talking about something you can't see. Yeah. And I think even with, um, I've got with, with the, I think it's great. We're seeing like the visual um, anatomy and that diagrams of the clitoris and, and naming understanding the different names and the different parts and how it's got 8,000 nerve endings and X, Y, and Z. But again, yes. this is great, but would this education or this information empower men to be, become more thoughtful, selfless lovers? I don't know. Right. Because True. it's like, because if I know the difference between the vagina and the vulva in terms of the name, is that necessarily going to change my attitude in terms of how I view women and sexuality? Not necessarily. Right, right. If I know the different names of the anatomy, does that make me a better lover? Again, not necessarily. It's it's the no. culture, it's the mindset that needs to change. So that's why, although it's all well and good, we're having, you know, a lot of people talk about, and that's, it's like with men, if I, even women, the different parts of the penis, we generally don't know what it's called, but we know how to use it. Right. You know? So it's not always <laughs> about, oh, I know what a frenium is. I know what this is. I know it's like, even a glad, like I say, men, penis glands, what's the, oh, the head. Oh, okay. I know the head. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what's a shaft? Oh, you know the big, okay. I know that. So that's why, again, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, do, I, do I'm a track, because again, I'm, I, like, even with the sex education and writing that I do, it's all like informal and it's, I'm not like a, affiliated with any particular, like, university or college or research body so that's why my style is quite I try and make it quite informal and practical and the information is for me it's like beneficial or practical information 
to know about or like even studies. I can quote you and talk about all of these different studies that's taken place around the world about clitoris or female ejaculation. But who does that serve apart from academics and you know researchers? In terms of the everyday person, does that change how we view women's sexuality? Is that going to change or help? men become more better lovers and and self and selfless in the bedroom is that going to empower women when they take more ownership and feel more confident about their body I don't know because again they're just like a lot so that's why I've noticed that there's a lot of it sounds good if I'm doing a speech to be fair to to pump all of this information and these statistics but in terms of is that getting people to get to where we want them to be in closing the orgasm gap and closing the pleasure gap I'm still not convinced by that approach yeah, I can totally hear what you're saying. You know, it's it's like saying, you know, reading a textbook is great and all and it's informative, but we still really like and intend to enjoy the fiction better because it's personal, it's mm-hmm. individual, it's for that, you know, the people involved, the characters. It's just more personal and it's it's less, I don't know, maybe less dry. It's just yes. <laughs> <laughs> focused on pleasure rather than anatomy. But I do think it's important for people to realize that, you know, just like there can be no two penises are the same. No two vulvas are the same. No two clitorises are the same. You know, you look at our fingernails. We don't, nobody has the same fingernails. It's just another part of the body. And of course, it's going to be different person to person. So we have to pay attention to individuals and your, your partner. Yeah. And just understand, yeah. Yeah. And just understand like the vulva is like a fingerprint. Yeah. Yes. Everyone's vulva is unique. Yes. So so once you understand that, like the vulva is like the fingerprint of vulva is like the human face, as in everyone's face, even then, although some faces are similar, they're all unique, then you Mm -hmm. can recognize the beauty in the difference. Yes. I think that's what we just need more of that kind of education when we're speaking about the female anatomy as well. So you don't, especially men, don't go, or even women as well. I know I'm oftentimes referencing men but women as well they don't feel that they need to compare or they shouldn't feel I don't they need to compare their 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 vulva to another woman's or what they've seen or how a partner may make them feel so that's why yeah I think there definitely needs to be more um vulva education the problem is the word vulva I may I think maybe we need a new word because it just sounds very (laughs) clinical you know like clitoris is nice clitoris is nice you got (laughs) clitoris clitoris is a nice word it's easy to say in but vulva just, and that's why I think as well, people prefer the, using the word vagina because it just sounds, yeah. you know, vulva just sounds very archaic. It sounds mm-hmm. not really that attract as a word I'm talking, not I'm talking about the anatomy itself. It just, you know, I mean, I like the word pussy, but again, in some circles, that's too, you know, so it depends on, again, that's why it's about knowing your circle and knowing your target audience. Yes. Some people that's mm-hmm. a bit too informal, but vulva, I just, I, it hasn't taken off for a reason. Right. Take oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say one thing. It's a little too close to the word vulgar for me. Yes, like, that's you... <laughs> it. That's right. Yes, that is it. Maybe that's why. I mean, that's yeah, true. it's just not like, it's that's not like, true, yeah. oh, that's sexy. It's like vulva, vulgar. They're too close. Yeah, yeah you're right. You can think about that. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> we need a new word. Imagine trying to introduce a new word for the vulva into the world. Oh my gosh. You know how much cha- how much work that would take to change? <laughs> you know it's needed. <laughs> Talk about a feat. That's hard to do. <laughs> so I want to ask you about your Taste of Honey webinar. Is this something that you've just done a couple of times or do you continue to do? Uh, so a taste, yeah, I do a Taste of Honey webinars. I do Kenyatta webinars. I try and do webinar, well, last year from April, I was doing one a month. 
Um, so sometimes I'll do a Taste of Honey webinar, which focuses on Islamic erotology. So it's looking at erotology, referring to the study and description of sex and eroticism. So I'll do that mainly to serve my Muslim audiences. So looking at sex from like a Muslim perspective. Then I also mm-hmm. sometimes I'll do a Kunyaza webinar, which is looking at whether it's the tradition of Kunyaza or the technique or squirting in general. And then I'll do sometimes men only webinars sometimes I do women only webinars and sometimes again mixed just because I noticed that when I when I've done for example like a webinar both for men and women to attend and I'm asking I try to make it quite interactive and have people ask me questions men are not as forthcoming when women are there sure ego and I understand I mean and I used to do some before the pandemic in in person it's a bit easier doing it online but still I've noticed that when it's a men only space, women are a bit more, men are a bit more forthcoming. And sometimes when I've done women, women only spaces, especially for women from more conservative or religious backgrounds, they're a bit more forthcoming when mm-hmm. there's no men, obviously, apart from myself. So that's why I try to mix it up. I'm probably going to do another, I might do another one this month, although I'm planning to go to Brazil later on this month. So I might be doing a couple of events there. Um, oh, so nice. yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, yeah, I do different events depending on, because the books that I write about are quite different and serve different audiences as well. So rather than trying to, again, like I said, because some people from really religious and conservative backgrounds, some people prefer women-only spaces, some people, again, just prefer the kunyaza, some people just, a lot of men may ask me as well about sexual discipline and porn addiction and try to kind of address that. So because they're very different topics, I try and do different webinars, obviously, to serve different kind of purposes. Absolutely. And so I have to ask you this. Are you a proponent of sex toys or do you feel like they are, you know, what's, what's your view take? What's your viewpoint on using sex toys within a couple? Yeah, I think it's up to the couple. sexual couple. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think it's up to the couple. I will be honest. And, and I will say there are a lot of men who are uncomfortable with sex toys and I and understand mm-hmm. some of it against ego. And, mm-hmm. I, and one thing I've noticed that a lot of women aren't as, that I've spoken to both sex educators, sex, sexologists and otherwise, I'm not as compassionate listening to men's reservation for sex toys as I probably would have expected. And the reason why I'm saying that is that I understand and I don't think a sex toy does replace a man, but in the eyes of a lot of men, they feel that it does because like what we spoke yes. about previously about the penis being the cornerstone of men's mask or sexuality, the penis is yes. so much so that if you just tell the man to use his penis or tongue without having his penis involved it's like no that can't be possible because the penis is the man right for a lot of men right but when you have a sex toy again a man naturally does and again if it's a sex toy that is bringing that pleasure bringing that delight bringing that climax naturally a lot of men again because of our ego is very fragile we, we do feel that it's um a form of replacement no matter what a woman says because right. it's lesser it's somehow it's lesser, lesser. Right. right so that's so that's why it's the case of, okay, then what can you do in the bedroom to, again, if a woman likes or wants or needs a, to incorporate a toy into the bedroom, what can you can you do in addition to the toys where, so you feel you're involved? I think mm-hmm. that's probably, that needs to be part of the conversation. So I'm not anti-sex toy, and I'm, but also I don't believe it should be a crutch where women feel that they need it, otherwise they won't be able to climax. And I think this is when, that's the wonderful thing I think about where there isn't sex toys around, I think, and then, then you obviously, and you've got two people who want to come together and understand and explore each other's bodies, they will find ways of experiencing climax without, whereas mm-hmm. it can sometimes, for me, it sometimes feels like an easy way out. 
Um, right. And, you know, there's a number of women that have, have said that, oh, until I got this sex toy, I wasn't able to experience pleasure or orgasm yes. because you wasn't able to with the partner that you was with or you actually needed this inanimate object. Because I don't believe prior to, you know, the vibrator being or rabbit being designed however many years ago that right. women couldn't climax. Oh yeah, exactly. Because that's the only thing that I'm quite, and I'm, and I'm aware that it's a business as well. So as much as, um, you know, like that's why I'm just a bit cautious of pushing sex with, as in this is what women need. If they want to do it, that's their business, but not make it sure. like it's yep. necessity. If, if you make sense, so that's that, that's kind of like my 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 viewpoint on on sex toys because it's quite interesting. Again, again, I was speaking about the orgasm gap because a lot of the sex toy companies when they speak about closing the orgasm gap and they're selling sex toys to women only by themselves that's not closing the orgasm gap no it's not no they're just learning to satisfy themselves but <laughs> yeah. they're also learning about yeah so yeah if you, that's different and that's great and mm-hmm. learning your body and having, having an orgasm that's fine but that's not the same as okay how can we get these two genders to come together and they also right. climax together that requires that requires both parties coming together. That requires a level level of vulnerability and mutual understanding and com- between the two. It's not right. he's doing his own thing, she's doing her own thing. And then, yeah, we're just ticking scores. I've had five orgasms with my vibrator and you've had five orgasms watching porn. And then we're going to go and sleep at this, in the same bed. It doesn't work like I don't think it should work like that. Right. Maybe I'm a bit yes. idealistic, but I just think, and I think there's more effort when you're having to explore your bodies without, sex toys and things like that. So that's right. kind of my position on it. Yeah, I totally. I and mean, I think it's also good for women who have never climaxed. Maybe they've never had a partner that pushed them that far to once they learn their body through, maybe they had to learn through sex toys, but then to, you know, new partners or the same partner to bring in that education piece, like you're saying that, you know, what a confidence booster if, if that man can also figure out how to, make her climax out the sex toy if they've had that issue past. But I think sex toys are a great tool. And I think they're also great for people who perhaps are maybe unable to use their hands or even unable to have sex in the traditional intercourse way with penetration. They can be a great tool to pleasure both men and women for people who are unable to do the traditional way of what we think of as sex, you know, penetration sex. So I think they're great tools, but yeah, I don't think that they're great if they're being relied on as the only way to reach climax. Agreed. Because you're missing out. You're just, they're just missing out on a whole whole lot there and a whole lot of intimacy, you know, confidence boosting. Like you said, the ego, you know, it's, I don't think it's bad if people use sex toys either. I think that it's good but it's not a replacement. You could never replace a person with a machine. So I feel sad when I hear people say they think that they're being replaced and it's, there's no way you can replace a person with a machine. It's impossible. So I understand why men, a lot of men may have that fear, but. Do you know why? Do you know why men have that fear? Because when we're going into the realm of, of sex in the bedroom, we look at as again, stereotypically like our role is to bring you that ultimate pleasure right mm-hmm. so if you're not getting that from us then we are then we that's why we feel replaced it's the same way if a, you know a man is saying i'm going to provide for you i'm going to look after you and this and and then your male friend is 
buying you gifts that you want and making you feel like the most beautiful person in the world. You say, oh no, but you're the one that I really love. That's still going to hurt his ego. Yeah, sure. I get that. Then that's the, again, it's just, so we know that we're not, we're not physically replaceable. We're, we're aware of that. Obviously that a toy cannot replace a human being. But in terms right. of the function of who's giving, who's pleasuring you, it's not right. us. That's why we feel because again, <laughs> I get it. I totally get it. And like we said, the epitome of for the man is the penis. You know, the penis is not pleasuring her. Yeah. So they see it as dead and all. Yeah. Even harmful potentially, you know, harmful to their ego. Or I'm not, I'm not, not being a man, or I'm not being, I'm not doing what I should be doing, or I'm, I'm not good enough. Yeah. Um, that's a tough place to be, but you know, again, it goes down to communication and seeking that pleasure and seeking to pleasure each other. So that's the bottom line, even in that scenario. Yes, again, yeah, it is mm-hmm. because there's always going to even like with men or insecurities in regards to uh, premature ejaculation or mm-hmm. uh, penis size, we all have those insecurities. So yep. it's just a case of understanding. Again, you need to come with, especially talking about the men, a level of humility and honesty mm-hmm. with yourself as well. And then knowing that you can't be this Mandingo Superman warrior. Just understand that. And have realistic mm-hmm. expectations of yourself. And then once you have these realistic expectations, then you can still try your best to do what you can to, you know, satisfy your partner. But if you're having these unrealistic expectations where you think you're going to last, be fully erect for like an hour and a half, pumping away, and she's going right. to be, you know, then naturally you're going to feel disheartened because she's not going to, she's not going to be making those noise that you see in porn. Because again, that's what you associate pleasurable sex with. Right. Yes, people need to still realize that. I heard other sexologists say this: porn is entertainment. It is. It's entertainment. It's, <laughs> it's not. I, when people say it's entertainment, it. again, I, it's it's funny when I heard that because it's true and it is performative. But when you read, if you're a writer, an erotic writer, when you read, mm-hmm. when I'm sure when readers read your books, when they watch romance films or read novels. Mm-hmm. That's still a maybe not exactly to the T, but that's still a type of love or sensation that they want to experience. So that's why you're trying to replicate that. Women will try and replicate that in their relationships or to have that feeling and the way the, the authors explain, you know, the, whatever the lovers experience. They want to kind mm-hmm. of try and recreate that in their own love life. Likewise, with the men who are quite visual, they are trying to recreate what mm-hmm. they've seen. So sure. yep. whilst, yes, we know it's entertainment and it's performative, there's still an element of truth in it as in yes. but it's just an exaggerated truth. That's what, that's what I would say, because yes, that's what I would say. It's yes. just an exaggerated, it's just like watching Fast and the Furious and learn, trying to learn how to drive watching Fast and the Furious. <laughs> right. Like right. It's sensationalized. It's sensational. then, yeah. That's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. So, so it's just about, again, it's just understand that's just exaggerated. But then if we again, if we're bringing back to like what we spoke about earlier and emphasis is on pleasure then all of what you're seeing in porn and stuff is not going to be as damaging to you because you're not looking that as that's the bar- the the barometer of what is sexual pleasure. That's the maybe the barometer mm-hmm. of like sexual gymnastics or sexual performer. Yeah, right. <laughs> so yep, if you yep. want to if you want to be a performer, a sexual performer, yes, then porn is what you're looking at. But if yes. you want to give sexual pleasure and experience sexual pleasure and sexual satisfaction, then it's not porn because there's no intimacy in porn. Right. 
not that you can't learn something from porn. You could learn yeah. a new technique or an idea of, hey, I should try that. Exactly. Not, yeah. yeah. And it's not one or the other. It's not, there's nothing you can learn because that's a lie. Because when people have the idea or say that, oh, it's just all performance, it's all entertaining, there's nothing, you can, it's not sex education. That's not necessarily true because you can learn something right. from porn. You can. You can. And there's, different totally types, and, there's, and there's different types of porn. So when people say that, it's like, in a way, I think people are doing a disservice to, um, again, I'm speaking to adults, adults who are watching that material, because you can't tell someone who's learned something from porn that they've never learned something from porn. Right. True. <laughs> you know, That's so you, true. You can't tell them that because all of a sudden they'll be like, this person's disingenuous or doesn't know what they're talking about. And we're not yeah, going exactly. to this person anymore. Whereas if you're yeah. just talking about maybe the harmful effects that it can have, and especially in terms of sexual expectations and, have, and having and setting yourself more realistic, manageable expectations in the bedroom that I think everyone can understand and especially if you're if you realize or that it can have impact on how you view you know sex and women and stuff like that then I think people that that's more realistic but just to say porn is performance performative it's entertainment it's not real it's not sex education it doesn't really wash if I'm honest when people yeah and I, I don't agree with that I do think people can learn from porn I'm not saying porn all porn is great or that it's beneficial. It can be harmful, but it also can be good. You can learn something from it, especially if it's something you, maybe something you're interested in as a couple, but you don't actually want to try it yet. You could watch it together and it's a way to expose it. Would you like to talk about any of your books that you'd like to mention? So a book I wrote called Illuminating the Performance, African and Arab Erotology. It's a book that's essentially about, it's a guide for men on womanizing and how to sexually satisfy a woman based on traditional African and Arab um, understandings of what is to be a man and sexuality and things like that. The reason why I wrote that particular book was because I, initially I was writing it for men, younger men under the age of like 30, so you could say late 20s to maybe mid 30s was because sexual discipline is something that I think a lot of men, especially young men struggle with. Because many of us are told that, you know, we need to have as many sexual partners as as possible. And then we get to a stage where we realize maybe that's not necessarily what we need. And oftentimes a lot of men who lack sexual discipline and who are engaging in, you know, sexual with multiple sexual partners, often it can Mm. involve some form of deceit, you know, lying and all of other things which can have ramifications both to ourselves and to others. So it's a kind of, it was a, it was a book that I wanted to write just to kind of, it was, I was writing the book to kind of like my younger self to say that if you're going to embark on this journey, this is maybe some things that you need to be aware of mm. both from an ethical point of view, a moral point of view, and just how to go about it. Because I think, again, that's a conversation that for different reasons, a lot of men are interested and attracted by and fascinated by, but then I don't think a lot of us are aware of the repercussions that it can have. It's, it's not necessarily the most uh it's not it's again and it's not it's not a, it's not a moralistic tale so to speak but it's just kind of understand that, okay if you want to go down that this road this is the kind of stuff you need to kind of be aware of and it's not just to say oh stis or unwanted pregnancies it's this other stuff that in terms of like discipline as well and it's redefining what is to be a man because i don't necessarily feel that you ne- you necessarily need to have multiple sexual partners in order to be a man although that's definitely what i used to kind of feel and and that's the same time. I did enjoy the joy. I did enjoy that kind of lifestyle, but it's not all all fun and and and, and good times as, as as what many kind of men, young men in particular, think. 
Sure. That makes sense. That's, that's a good, a good book to write. I think that that is important to have out in the world and for them to read and reflect and think about, you know, current life and how that's going to impact their future and future relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. You have so many amazing things to say and I think your books are fantastic. So thank you so much for coming on my show. I just had a wonderful time talking with you. Thank you for sharing all of that. Well, likewise, thank you again for having me and all the best with your podcast and keep doing good and big and better things. Thank you. You as well. You have a great day. Same to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am so excited that you are here and that you listened to this podcast. I hope you learned a lot. I learned so much from Habib. I just, it was quite mind-blowing. It was a great discussion and I want to thank him for coming on my show. It was a wonderful, wonderful, amazing talk that I am so excited to share with the world. So thank you again for listening and I will put his links down in the podcast notes to his books and where you can find out more about him. And also I'll put mine down in the podcast notes as well. My books are on Amazon. My audiobooks, erotic audiobooks I narrate for myself and for others. And my erotica books are also on Amazon. I'm also on Medium. So you can find some of my stories there as well. Okay, well, I hope that you enjoyed this. I hope you learned a lot. And gain some new perspectives and new ideas to try in your heterosexual relationship or with your new partner that you may have someday. Things to keep in your mind for the future to make your relationship the best it can be, both in and out of the bedroom. Okay, well, thank you, and I hope you have an amazing fucking day. Love ya. Ready for some spring cleaning of your beard and groin hairs? Try out Manscaped products where you can get 20% off with my new code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to get 20% off and free shipping. In order to get the discount, use the promo code RUIN, R-U-A-N, to do that spring cleaning to get yourself ready for sexy times. Heat up your spring with a new shave, a new trim. Perhaps try going there. Get more skin smacks in the bedroom, if you know what I mean.